Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon to you. It's a Friday and this is The Call. You know the routine. It is 10 companies picked by you, our viewers. We bring in two expert guests to comment on those 10 stocks all in one hour. I'm Nadine Blaney. A very big warm welcome to viewers watching on Twitter. We do this program every week at midday Eastern if you're not familiar with the program already. I have two familiar guests here with me in studio is Adam Dawes. He's from Sean Partners and joining us via Skype, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Claude, good afternoon to you. I'm not going to spend too good much day. time with you right now because I know you're pretty keen on the stock of the day, which is E-Road. We'll get to that in just a moment, but nice to see you there. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's always exciting. Now, Adam, yeah. I'm going to start with you because I've had an email come in from a viewer and we love getting your emails. So thank you. Saying next time Adam Dawes is on, just happened to me today. <laughs> would you please ask him why DCC, so Digital X, has fallen yeah. some 28% yeah. since you recommended it as a buy mm -hmm. on Ausbiz. Mm -hmm. That was back in, uh, yeah, that's in March, 12th of March. Does Adam still support this stock and why? Fair question. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you all to all viewers we've got to make sure that we look after everybody um and obviously this is all general advice so no specific advice to your individual circumstances however yes i think dcc is still okay it went through that eight cent mark pretty quickly and i had some orders in there around eight cents and now it's obviously fallen further i think the market's probably got a little bit of ahead of itself with the whole bitcoin bubble and what's been happening with that dcc does hold a fair bit of bitcoin I still see that as a store of value and I still see that as a, as a way that potentially you can get access to Bitcoins without going having to buy Bitcoins in the market and those kinds of things. So I, I still like the story. It has come under a fair bit of pressure with that Bitcoin and, and what's been happening with that. But I think you just hold on to this one. I think their quarterly and their half yearly will be quite surprising to investors. All right, Anton, there's your answer from Adam Dawes, keeping him honest. Okay, let's get to the <laughs> stock of the day. E-Road. So this is a New Zealand-based transport tech firm. We've talked about it on this program before, but it's out with an update this morning. It signed up its largest ever Australian customer, Ventia. E-Road has seen strong growth in Australia since about 2008, and it says that the agreement will almost double its present presence, I should say, across the lucrative larger market. Now, Claude Walker, to you on this one. How big of an announcement is this? 
for E-Road? What may, might it mean in the future? Well, that that's the question, and we can't be sure what it means for the future, but it's definitely a positive sign. So um, I own uh, E-Road stock and have held it uh, for, for a little while now. And uh, in the last uh, few months, we've actually seen the share price come down from about $5 to closer to $4. And that's because the last quarter was a bit disappointing for the market. Uh, in particular, in the US, they weren't growing as quickly as they were hoped. And um, there was a little bit more churn. Um, and at the same time, the market had sort of expected to see a little bit more progress in Australia uh, already, I guess. Uh, and just just to zoom out here for viewers, basically, you know, what these guys are doing is they're doing um, helping uh, trucking companies or logistics companies or asset management companies uh, track all of their truck drivers and track all of their various trailers and equipment and where all that is and how it's being used and uh, the core regulatory driver for this is road usage charges, which they have a fairly advanced system for that in New Zealand. And that's why E-Road has managed to get so much market penetration in New Zealand. But the thesis for investors who are buying it at $4 or thereabouts is basically that as more and more of this road usage charge comes in for trucks, etc., in Australia and um, the USA and different states in the USA, E-Road will be able to grow in those markets. And, in, and if you look on our on our website, we just did a bit of write up on this. And, and the point that I wanted to make was that, you know, in New Zealand, they have 84,000 Ihubo 2 devices or Ihubo devices already out in, in the wild there. North America is 35,000. Australia, it's only 2,600. And basically, you know, this, as you said, this doubles the Australian impact, but its significance is more that it's showing that um, E-Road can win those big enterprise clients in Australia. And that gives uh, more credence and support to their comment that they say that they have a remaining short to medium term enterprise pipeline of some 15 to 20,000 connected vehicle vehicles. Now, so today's announcement, if you put even the New Zealand part of it and the Australian part of it together, that's still only a, a fairly small bump to the total business of E-Road. But the point is, if they can then go and win some of that pipeline in Australia, and this is a good sign they can, then that will be a much more significant thing that's more like a 20% bump to the business or, or a 10 to 20% bump to the business. So that's what we're looking for. And this is just a little good sign in, on that part. Now, the share price has risen from those lows that you referenced in the wake of the quarterly to $4.60. Uh, today, and that is up by 5%. Uh, so, yeah, is today the day to buy it, though? I, I, I generally don't buy shares on the day that they have a good announcement, because often what you see is that you, you see a pop-up in the announcement, and then it, it sort of settles back down to where it was. So I'm not saying that you need to rush out and buy today. And, and as Adam said, this is absolutely general advice. I bought, I initially bought it slightly lower than um, current prices, but I've I've held the stock um, at above current prices as well. And for me, this is intended to be a long-term, multi-year investment. And basically, the thesis is that as regulations catch up and and as um, this you know business expands overseas and spends on expanding overseas, it will be able to get much more market share in Australia and the in the US, and that will make it a multi-bagger. So I do think this does actually advance, makes the risk reward a little bit more attractive because it says hey, mm -hmm. guess what? We're starting to kick things off in Australia. So for me, it is a it is a buy. And it's actually one of the bigger positions in my portfolio. Like it's 
it's um it's below some of the companies I love most that I always mention, but it's still actually one of my bigger positions, and I and I do like the risk reward at current prices. Risk reward mm. at current prices on eRoad for you, Adam. Yeah, so it's look, uh, it's really an interesting business because I like these disruptors of businesses where they move from paper-based to a software as a service model or, or basically taking things online. We've seen many companies do that very successfully over the last coming couple of years. And I think this is one that can do this. So it, it's actually a buy for me. I agree with Claude on this one. This is a buy. Um, for me, when I look at that chart, um, it shows me that it's had an initial run from the IPO and it looks like it's changing its investor base a little bit. So you've had the run up, it got up there and now there's been that sell-off over obviously January, February, March. There's been that sell-off and that's probably some of those initial IPO people getting in, getting out, and now the investor base is starting to change. And I think that's a really good sign for a stock mm -hmm. like this. So um, disruptive tick, um, looking like it's now starting to get that new shareholder base in there. That's another tick. And I think it's a, it's a good little business. So yeah, it's a buy from me. Great, okay, so that, I didn't want to give it away, but it's already in the portfolio. It will remain oh, awesome. in the portfolio well as done, well. Claude. Well done, All right, let's get yeah, on to I'm the- Yeah, kept it in there. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a shame in your view to see it go for sure. Uh, let's get to some of the questions that have been placed to us by our viewers. Tom has written in about Webjet. Uh, this is obviously so topical, so newsworthy because of the action that we've seen this week in terms of the trans-Tasman bubble. And don't forget that the vaccine rollouts are happening, well, in other parts of the world that will allow borders to open. In fact, some borders are already open and Webjet, of course, has online international business. So Webjet for you at this stage of the game, Claude, is it attractive? Uh, not really. Um, people that have followed my work for a long time should know that this is one that I actually used to really like as a business. And I actually held this stock right in like in February, I think it was um, last year, right as the pandemic was hitting. And obviously, it was the first thing I sold once I realized that uh, we were we were in trouble. And uh, what I want to comment on now is that even though the share price remains sort of half what it was before the pandemic, the market cap is actually higher. So in January 2020, there was 135 million shares at a share price of $10, so like a 1.35 billion market cap. And now it has 358 million shares, even excluding the 39 million shares that would be converted if the share price gets higher because of these convertible notes they just issued. So even excluding that, basically the market cap is um, over 1.9 billion, if my numbers are correct some 40% higher than what it was prior to the pandemic. Now, you could justify the fact that it's actually bigger than the pandemic by saying that, you know, everything that's happened will accelerate the shift to online booking, basically. And Webjet was a good company before the pandemic and I owned it and I thought it was undervalued then. Um, but yeah, it's actual value. The, the chart we're seeing now, that doesn't really show that the actual rebound it's had because there's been so many new shares issued so it's actually gotten back to that old value and even past it. So even in a world where there was no pandemic, I don't know that I'd actually be paying the current price for it, let alone in a world where we have all the uncertainty. And maybe Adam can actually explain to me better how it's trading so healthily right now, because I don't quite understand fully. It seems it just seems it's a good business, sure, but it's just too high for me. Now, yes, it may be the COVID has accelerated the online aspect of the business, and maybe that's a long term advantage. That's possible. But then on the flip side of that, what about um, 
the fact that there might be a whole lot less business travel and less hotel booking and stuff like that, you know, a certain portion of their business, it's not just holidays. So if we see a structural shift to less traveling around for business meetings and stuff like that and more using Zoom, then I think that's probably a long-term disadvantage for Webjet. So to me, it's not clear at all that this deserves to trade at a higher value than prior to the pandemic. Mm. So for me, I'd actually have to say sell. Sell. Adam, do you know why? Do you think it's justified why <laughs> Webjet is, to, uh, to Claude's point, you know, trading so well? Yeah, so look, obviously markets uh, look 12 months, six yeah. months ahead, and this is, has been a fantastic reopening trade with flight centers, Sydney airports, Qantas, all of those kinds of things have been put into this barrel where they've said, reopening trade, uh, we're going to get a faster rebound to COVID. Um, we're going to see meaningful acceleration of business to business. We're going to get more growth packages, more cross-selling, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. So I think the market is moving towards that, hence why it's trading at probably a higher level. But I agree with Claude, that dilution is an absolute killer in this business. You could see Flight Center as well. Flight Center regularly traded at $40 pre-pandemic. It went down to sort of $10. It raised its whole entire market cap again to keep the business afloat, which basically means now that $20, where it is at the moment, is what, $40 in the old world. So it's now fairly valued. Now everyone looks at the charts and goes, oh, well, it could go to 50, it could go to 60. But with that dilution, and that's happened through the GFC when the banks all raise money and everybody raised money, that dilution is not really what's spoken about to retail clients is you've got to look at that dilution and how that affects the share price. So for me, it's a sell also. Uh, I would prefer Sydney airports. I think it's, it's, a, it's a better business. Uh, it's more stable infrastructure, all of those kinds of things. Webjet, obviously with that convertible note, they've got some extra cash coming in. So that, I think that's fine, but they're going to continue to have to keep raising as long as this pandemic keeps mm-hmm. moving forward. Yeah, it looks like they've got sufficient liquidity through to 2022. They're yeah. watching cash burn go down, but you know, there's still a lot of unknowns as we now know in no. real time yeah. with the own, with our own vaccine rollout here. Absolutely. So guys, I didn't tell you this one as well. That's actually being taken out of the portfolio now because of yeah. the two cells from you guys. It was in there previously. Okay. Fair game. Let's go to G8 Education. This is for Mila. Gem is the ticker code, as you well know. I don't have a lot of context, but I'm presuming she's just wondering if it's investable at this time. It continues to chip away at its portfolio, Mm. refinements and divestments, um, better operating capital expenses. It wants to improve its network quality. Do you like the story around G8 Education? I've never liked any of the childcare businesses going forward. So for me, it would be a hold. There's a couple of reasons why. One of the reasons is is that um, them their earnings or you know earnings for this year was obviously lower, but that's obviously due to what's happened COVID. previously mm-hmm. in the COVID. But JobKeeper is going to be a really big thing for these guys, and I don't know what the government maybe someone really can tell me, but the government what the government's actually doing with childcare because I know they were subsidising it mm-hmm. or you know helping out. I, I don't think there's any subsidy right now. Right, so. If you, uh, beyond the, yeah, the normal subsidies. Yeah, beyond the normal ones. Um, so you've got people with JobKeeper finishing. Now, now they might not have a job, so they can't afford in, in here in Sydney. It's ridiculous. It's over 100 to 120 $150 a day. <laughs> or more. Okay. So it, it is ridiculous. So, you know, you've got all these headwinds that are coming through. Their occupancy rates are sort of sitting around sort of 70% at the moment. You prefer that to be around 90, 95. So for me, it's just... it's baby steps for me on that one <laughs> as well as then uh just i think overall i think 
it's a business that is going to still structurally take more time to get back on Why, its Adam, is it a hold? Because that implies that if you're in it, stay in it. Why is it not an avoid? Because uh, I think at a dollar, and you can see that chart there, it looks okay. It's holding that dollar line and it's, and it's moving sideways. There's not huge catalysts for me to say get out, but there's no huge catalyst for me to say mm -hmm. to get in as well. Okay. So I, I'm really comfortable <laughs> looking on a five-year chart. It does look a little bit worse, but um, yeah, I, I, I think you, you, you could hold this. I wouldn't be buying any, any new stock in this one. Claude, uh, you know how expensive care is for children. Uh, there are only a handful of operators of this type, less than in Australia. So does G8, if they do it well, can they make a matzo? Uh Definitely, I would say no, not long term. Um, I actually do really have a lot of sympathy and, and largely agree with Adam's view, but I'm just going to take a slightly harsher stance on the company for a few reasons. Uh, so first of all, this share price did peak at around $4.95 in 2014, and that was when the roll-up story sort of reached mm. its peak. And I guess that's the bit that I wanted to zoom in on, just because Adam really did cover a lot of the key points here. But let's look at why the roll-up of childcare businesses is fundamentally a bad business, right? So we had ABC Learning was a big blow up, it, but it's it's not, and look at, you know, G8's down 80% in, in five, six years. It's a bad business because they have to have to sustain the large company that they are. They have 474 childcare centers, right? But each one of those centers is one, or two bad teachers away from going to profitability to loss, right? So in February 2020, before the pandemic, the AFR was, you can look it up, writing an article about how there was potential pockets of oversupply in childcare. Now, in a normal business, if you're a roll-up business, then if each node in that roll-up is very profitable, um, maybe some bad things happen and, and a couple of those businesses, individual businesses become unprofitable. But with childcare, you have so many businesses, all of them just a little bit profitable. Well, guess what? If a few bad things happen, especially economy-wide, if you have people needing to stay home because it's more economically effective, all of these businesses can fall into loss-making at virtually the same time. So that's why the risks in investing in a roll-up of childcare centers is way higher than people think. Um, because the same event can suddenly impact the profit of all mm -hmm. 474 cent uh, centers. Um, so that's just the fundamental business model here is is not good. That's why um, the share price over the long term has not been a great performer. But on top of that, you also have to look at the fact that they're currently talking about having remediation costs, having to repay uh, due to having to repay underpaying salaries. And they're they're talking about a 50 to 80 million pre-tax expense for accounting from the period July 2014 to present. So that's when the share price peaked to now. They've now got a $50 million bill because they yeah. weren't paying the people enough. That's not a good sign in a business. I mean, I think that we probably, I think everyone knows the kind of businesses that I like to invest in. Like, it's just not the kind of yeah. business. I don't like investing in businesses that underpay the, their employees who are hardworking. So you so have to say sell. Me. Definite sell for me, but sell. yes, I agree with Adam. But there's no major catalyst right now. But so no hurry. But yes, sell okay. for me. The next on the list, and we're going to have to go just a little bit quicker, is Northern Star Resources. This is for Luke. Now, 
again, Claude, I know this is not the business model that you necessarily like investing in, but Northern Star, everyone tells me, is best of bunch. Yeah, so well, I can be quick on this one because we I spoke about it just a few weeks ago before and I actually agreed with that. It is actually one of the best of the bunch and that's because it focuses on paying dividends over the years. And one of the problems with mining companies you see generally is that they don't pay dividends enough, some of them, and they just try and dig another hole instead. So you never really get the profit um, as a shareholder. So I like that about Northern Star. I reckon it's the pick of the bunch with uh, the gold miners. Having said that, um, you know, I would notice a little bit of director buying around $10, which is good. Um, then, of course, I don't predict the gold share price. That's been going down in AUD terms since halfway through last year, I think. So I can't predict it. I don't know about it. Not my play. But yeah, that, that's my view on it. But is it a buy or? or it, it, a... Wouldn't, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a buy for me just because I can't take. I don't have a view on the on the gold price. So, but yeah. I will say hold for this because somebody who does like that play, I would not sell on my account. Definitely yeah. not. Would you be buying? Yeah, definitely. This is a buy. Uh, our analyst uh, has got a, a screaming buy on this one, due to the fact the merger now has been now complete. Northern Star and Saracen are now uh, one entity. That's taken it now or created a one and a half million ounce ASX listed company, which is taking it definitely towards that sort of Newcrest level. But it hasn't, uh, well, you've seen the share price, mm. it's fallen with the gold price, but it hasn't rallied as much as some of the other counterparts as well. They're giving uh, a two million ounce uh, capacity in production by the next three to five years. And uh, most, the, most of the street has got a sort of a uh, $14 price target on mm -hmm. it. So I think there's some real value here in this gold space. Everyone's been hating gold, but it's understandably why. But when everybody hates something, this is the kind of time we've got to get in there and start investing in these things. And I think this is one that we can definitely sink our teeth into. We've been moving a lot of clients out of uh, potentially something like a, a Newcrest. Mm -hmm or an evolution and putting it in Northern Star. We think this is the right uh, place to be. So that is a good one. We also saw if we pull up that sort of daily chart, you can see um, there was a reweighting of the ETFs uh, in the gold space yes. on the 19th of March. And that's basically the bottom of where Northern Star was. And that's the time where we started picking it up because we knew this reweighting from GDX as well as the other gold ETFs was about to finish. The shorts were about to finish. The reweighting came in and then we started buying. So I still, still think there's a fair bit of upside. It's a buy from me. Great. Luke, hope that helped. You've got a couple of differing opinions there on Northern Star Resources. That's what makes the market, isn't it? Let's get to Monadelphus Group, MND. This is for Scott. Adam, I will start with you on this one as well. I guess operations are starting to normalize post-COVID, yeah. but uh, in this business, you know, in the services space, mining services space, energy services space, it can be, it, margins are always pressured. Yes. So it's a difficult business. Margins are always pressured when the mining companies, uh, their commodities prices aren't going the right way. At the moment, commodity prices are going the right way. However, it's still a hold from me. I don't really like any of the mining services business because BHP can turn around and say, we're gonna go with somebody else or we're gonna do it ourselves. So none of those mining services- it's all contract. All contract. Yeah. And it's and a lot of fixed price contracting as well. So there's no room for error. And as we know, contracts do blow out and those kinds of, well, upside and downside. But um, it did beat on the top line of net profit. Uh, the, the street was estimating sort of around 26, it got to 32, and that was higher revenue and similar EBITDA margins. But 
The issue for me is that is iron ore going to remain robust? Is copper price going to remain robust? And we know that these are cycles and potentially we're coming to the top end of the cycle. So I'd be cautious on Monodelphus. Yeah, and nobody's talking, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but the, the whole super cycle for commodities, that's sort of cooled down. It has that just talk. a little bit, yeah. yes, you're right. Claude, I know that again, this isn't your type of company necessarily. Uh, one other, you know, input that we need to consider with Monodelphus as well is rising labor costs. I mean, it's mm. inflation. Inflation could be impacting uh, their cost of doing business. Do you agree? It could be. Unfortunately, I don't think we're seeing that wage inflation uh, really play out much yet. I think it'd be great for a lot of uh, my businesses and generally the economy if we did see a sustained bit of uh, wage inflation for everybody. Uh, that, yeah, but you know, I don't, that wouldn't be something I'm worrying heaps about at the moment, although I guess it could come into play at, just because. Um, as, sort of, as Adam was saying, these are so uh, cyclical, these businesses, they tend to go with, you know, inflation cycles, employment cycles, and of course, commodity price cycles. And that's why, you know, you see them have like super volatile share prices all the time. I was kind of hoping Adam uh, would actually give it a bit more of a wrap this one, because even though it's not the kind of business that I invest in, it's actually one I really like and I, one I really study, not because of the business per se, which I think is a tough business, exactly as Adam said, but just because I think that in this space, it's been one of the best managed, well-built businesses. Yep. Yeah, by yep. like, uh, you know, the chairman as a founder, you have a really long serving MD. Both of them have, I think one of the chairman has still $10 million worth of shares um, and uh, MD, you know, twice that. Uh, you did see uh, back in 2017, the chairman sold down half his holding at a share price of about $19. And I think that's kind of the signal that I'd look for to say, oh, now is definitely the time to take some off the table when you've got that long serving founder who knows this cyclical business really well, taking some off the table. That for me is a, probably a sell signal. Now, it seems it seems reasonable to me. You know, I, I don't think I should have the confidence to come out and say a buy just because everything Adam said about the business quality is true and leads me to avoid this kind of company. Having said that, you know, if you want to make the investment in a mining services company. If someone said to me, Claude, you must get us a little bit of exposure to a mining services company, I would actually just go for Monodelphus Group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I guess I'll come down on hold, but I like it. Yeah, okay, good. I like it. I like Let's it move too. on to the next one, Nicole <laughs> and Serata. Uh, A-N-D is the ticker code. So this is a software company. It uh, is based on subscription uh, customers. Uh, do you like it, Claude? Do you know it? Tell, tell us about it. Yeah, I, I do. I So I own shares in this one. Um, this is a re relatively recent listing, and I think it's uh, under the radar. I look forward to what Adam says, because I really haven't heard many um, industry professionals talking about this one yet, which can be a good thing, assuming that they do eventually start talking about it. So what they do is they provide a software that is basically like deal room software. So say, for example, you know, when the the gold mining company wants to take over or merge with the other gold mining company. They need sort of uh, a special process to do this, all the due diligence, um, all of the, uh, that, that's a bit funny because you had a reverse listing, that chart yeah. had a reverse listing Ansarada. So you want to just look at it sort of since December this year, really. But um, 
basically, you know, when these companies do a merger, they need software to make sure that the right people have access to the right documents and also that they can rescind access to those documents if the deal doesn't go through and they can see who's looked at what, who's shared with what, they can answer certain questions and they're all kind of official questions. So it's good to have them approved and um, make sure that the everybody knows what is being put forward in terms of information about these special deals. Because if you give the wrong information or something like that, that could actually create legal liabilities later. So that's what their software does. Now, they are moving to a software as a service model, which has flattened their revenue growth. Um, and sometimes there's a repeatable play that you can do, which is buy shares in a company when it's moving from more of a license one-off style um, transaction to more of a subscription tra transaction. Because what that does is that temporarily puts the revenue down because instead of getting all of the money up front for, for a deal, they sort of get a smaller amount of money, but spread over a longer period of time. So mm -hmm. as they complete that transition to more of a subscription revenue, you have a flattening of the revenue before it then sort of starts taking off again. So that's the phase that we would hope we're in with Anserata right now. The other thing to remember is that this business model about deals, about transaction and deals, does not lend itself very well to a subscription uh to a subscription Yeah, because you're model. not doing deals every day, right? Exactly. So now their, their pitch is sort of for some companies is that, well, even though you're not doing deals every day, you want to have the infrastructure ready to do deals every day. Okay. And that's making some progress as they are, they are successfully putting people onto more subscription revenue. Yeah, I think but it was up 12% year on year. So when it comes to where the real future lies for this company, is it one that you want to get in now on the expectation? Yeah, so now I think, is so I actually paid a higher prices for Anserata and, and I've, I've got my position now. So I've kind of been a bit silly. I've paid closer to $1.30, $1.40 and then now it's come down. And but I don't want to buy more now because I've already got my holding. But I would I think it's looking better now than it was before um, because the share price has dropped down 20 uh, percent since um, 7 million early investor shares were released from escrow. But, you know, actually, it seems like this M&A deal flow and maybe Adam can tell me more about that because he would know more about that than me. But that took a hit during COVID. Right. And if you look at the numbers of customers, that's bouncing right back up in the first half now. Mm -hmm. So if the thesis is that's going to bounce up as we get out of COVID, then um, maybe this is a great time to buy. You've got this, maybe this escrow overhang might be pushing the share price down now. I think we saw we saw recent director buying at around the exact current price. Yep. And the cherry on top is Morgan's reckons they can exit the year at free cash flow positive. If that happens, that's great. Looks like a good setup to me. But as I said, I already... I already fired my ammunition too early, so so here I am just holding on. Well, you can't on. win them all, can you, Claude? Uh, do you think that Encerada will be a winner uh, in this environment? I mean, to Claude's point, more corporate deals are being done. So, yeah, so for the research, Morgan's listed this thing, so you've got to be a little bit careful because they've got a, a, a rosy view mm -hmm. on the world. Uh, the second thing is that Encerada has always tried to list, and this has been a company that's been trying to list for a couple of years now but never really got to that stage where they got the appetite the reason why they did this reverse listing there was a smaller company in the name escapes me maybe claude remembers it the dockyard yeah the dockyard. dockyard and the dockyard was the david and Anserata was the goliath uh -huh. right but uh the david uh, ate the goliath so it was a backdoor listing through that and so it's just gotten a little bit messy from uh, from that sort of piece, 
So I really like the technology. They've got some decent contracts, Price Waterhouse, those kinds of things that should go into a SaaS model, but they're always just, look, we'll just open your deal room, we'll give you the free, so- we'll give you the software, and then you come back to us in six months time. And I, haven't, I don't think that they've snagged one of those big fishes. It's a really interesting business, but it, 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 it's sort of got a little bit of fleas on it still with directors, uh, so the escrow stock, um, and it trying to list for a long time. So I think it's just got to work itself out. Um, it's a no from me. I, I, I wouldn't be touching it just yet. You'd wait till you see one of these big corporates signing up and then the rest of the market will follow. And I think that's what the one I'd be interested so in. So there is more time on your side, particularly yeah. to Claude's point, you know, since it's come back. Uh, no rush to get into Ansarada, believe it or not. That brings us to the halfway point. So we started this discussion as per usual with the stock of the day. It's E-Road. It was out with some news today. This is one that Claude has liked for a long time. He believes it is a long-term multi-year investment and it could even become a multi-bagger in time. So he would be buying today at these levels. So would Adam Dawes from Sean Partners. He gives it a big tech because it's a disruptor. It's got this new shareholder base that he also believes is a tick and he likes it. So E-Rode is staying in the call portfolio. One company that's coming out of the portfolio is Webjet. Both of the guys agree on this one. The dilution in Adam's word is a killer. So if you're an investor and you haven't looked into that, you need to do so and keep it in mind really across your portfolio. It is a sell from Adam, but he's given us a bonus buy. I know you love them. And that is Sydney Airport. If you want to play this reopening long-term thematic. Uh, Webjet's a sell for Claude, as I mentioned. He used to own it pre-pandemic. It's just now the value of it has shifted because of Mm -hmm. that dilution. And also he's got some questions about travel. You know, has there been a shift in terms of appetite for things like business travel? So it's a no. It's a sell for G8 education, Mila. That was the question put to Claude. He says the roll-up story is over. It's a difficult business. The risk is high. Adam's never liked childcare. It's a hold if you're in it because he can't see a catalyst to really sell. But he also flags that JobKeeper coming off might be a bigger problem for G8 education than it is perhaps for some other companies. Northern Star is a buy from Adam Dawes at Sean Partners. He's thumping the table, screaming buy is what he said it is. He sees value in it as well as a strong production portfolio and uh, opportunities going forward. Uh, It's an avoid for Claude. He just doesn't like the story, although it's the best of the bunch and it does pay a dividend. So it's just sort of a a hold or an avoid for him. Monadelphus Group, uh, it's the best of the bunch in Claude's view as far as mining services. And Adam Dawes does agree, Mm -hmm. even though he's saying it's just a hold. That space is just not Adam's cup of tea and it's contract-based fixed price contracts, so that can lead to trouble. Um, Adam just, uh, sorry, Claude points out that it is though best managed if he was told that he had to have a mining services company in his portfolio, this is the one that he would have, but uh, you know, he just can't buy it. And Serata is a buy for Claude. He bought it actually at more elevated price levels. It flies under the radar. He likes the potential in this company, but it is a no for Adam Dawes. There's just a few fleas still hanging around. <laughs> I knew you were going to pick but up on it that is a watch and a wait. Just, just, just no rush for Ansarada to take a long time coming to market as well. So that is the companies uh, that we've talked about so far. Now, don't forget, I've referenced the portfolio a number of times. This is thanks to our partners 
NabTrade. So the companies that get two buys from both of our expert guests, we put into the portfolio likewise. As you saw today with Webjet, if there's two cells, they come out of the portfolio. This is how we've been performing over the week, up by um, pretty close to 3% on the month more than 7% and on the year, not bad, up by 28.5%. So you can check out that portfolio, thanks to NabTrade at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And here's some of the companies we've added just this week. The Vanek Vectors, Australian Banks ETF, Centuria Capital, Next DC, AUB Group and Steadfast Group. It's been a good week here for the portfolio. Okay, let's get to the uh, rest of the companies that are on this list. <coughs> James has written in asking about Nuix. Claude, I'll start with you on this one. A recent listing came out with a report shortly thereafter and tanked, uh, but looks as if perhaps it's found a bottom. Do you like the company fundamentally? I yeah, so I do actually think this is an in, this is definitely an interesting one. So it's a little bit bigger than I than what I usually look at, but I think the reason that the market got so excited about it is because its metrics uh, for a sort of tech company look really good. Uh, they have very low churn, 4.2%, even in this like most recent half, which, as you said, you know, very much disappointed the market. Um, and it, it it has you know uh, I think it was at least at listing, you know, eight times um, pack to LTV, which means that the lifetime value of the customers was, you know, eight times how much it costs the customer to, uh, the cost nukes to acquire the customer. So for a sort of tech um, recurring revenue business, this is really good. Now, what they actually do is essentially help um, sort through and analyze uh, huge amounts of data. So for example, like every email in an organization, uh, which can be useful for a number of different things. Uh, some sort of investigation would be one example, but also, you know, you could you could do it on all the emails you've ever received from any clients complaining things to understand what, what's causing complaints and what's causing problems. So I think that'll be a growth area. Offsetting that, you have some massive in the US that have big budgets and big customers. And so, you know, it's they're definitely not standing alone there. Um, you know, I reckon that basically when it, listed it was massively hyped so i just completely avoid i mean this was a top-notch mm. listing macquarie bank it was a front page of the afr absolutely fly just i've seen this sort of thing before if it's the you know macquarie hottest ipo of the year on the afr almost always if that if that's not overhyped from day one it'll be overhyped from mm. day two um, and that's what we saw immediate disappointment now it is actually interesting so a little bit big of a company for me i I didn't. Up, oh, oh, up, For me, it is probably actually a buy. Okay, buy, oh, buy because of the, the yeah, you're yeah. just breaking up a little bit. But I got the important part, which is a buy, and I'm presuming a lot of that has to do with the price, you know, coming off those yeah. highs. But and Adam, my last is this... thought there is a director recently bought shares. A director okay. recently bought a lot of shares as well. So I'm sort of that as well i don't own shares myself though so i should put i should put that out there as well yeah okay but yeah you like it when director um directors buy shares so adam this one yeah, is I'll it a classic case in point that when you yeah. see these high-flying ipos you can actually stand back for a yeah. bit well you can trade them as well i mean there was a lot of hype around this and it went parabolic so it was it was an amazing to watch how overvalued because markets overvalue and overshoot and undershoot um, what Claude was talking about was some of their competitors. One of their major competitors is called Relativity. It's a private business. 
It has an enterprise value of $3.6 billion in the US. Eye-watering numbers, right? Eye-watering. The reason why this stock fell was that I think that the management were a little bit green in talking to the market. They didn't notify the market that potentially the first half was going to be a little bit lower or less than prospectus forecasts. And that's where they started to get into trouble. They didn't communicate that to the market. But also if you're a tech stock, all of a sudden, if you're not meeting prospectus or above prospectus, Mm -hmm. you're gonna get smashed. So the reason why, and I think this is a buy as well, the reason why I think this is, is that the, the company has not changed its full year guidance. Okay, half was a bit slower, but they still haven't changed their full year guidance. And that means that this stock should be valued more closer to $8, even further up to $10, where most brokers got price targets of sort of $10. So the, that, that's the first reason they're still sticking with their full year guidance. The second reason is, is that you can see on the chart, it actually dipped below IPO price. I think 515 was the IPO price. It dipped below that, and now it's come back through that. And that's a clear signal to me that this is a buy going forward due to the fact that the price action, obviously it's rallied, it's come back down below IPO, and now investors are keen to pick it up below IPO or above. That's a clear signal for a buy for me. So if they can maintain their full year guidance, this thing should, should move. I don't know the reporting dates, but yeah, it's, it's a buy from me and it looks attractive. Okay, that one will be staying in the portfolio then. It was already in the portfolio, <laughs> Newix. And that was a question for James. I think I've been forgetting to mention people's names. And uh, just as a side note, I think you've heard it before. This is information only. So this is not advice. It's not tailored to your own personal circumstances. So please just keep that in mind when you're watching the program. Yeah. Drone Shield is next on the list. DRO is the ticker code. This is for Will. Uh, Adam, I'll start with you. Yeah. This is a company that's constantly putting out announcements about uh, wins, about deals that are being done. Yeah. Um, but it feels as if it's been a long road for Drone Shield and it's not profitable. Definitely not. Well, yes, it, it, it's got strong revenue outlook. Yes. Right. So there's a clear, uh, clear issue that obviously revenue hasn't come in through the door. They've got lots of R&D spend that's now starting to uh, from government subsidies that they're mm-hmm. getting. So that's a little bit of a bonus for them. But you can see on the chart that when this thing does spike, it's all about uh, US government funding or US government contract. They're always very, 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 very difficult to get and then obviously keep. I think the business is okay. It's got a strong cash position. It does have sort of good contract wins. It does have balance sheet strength. But the problem is that this trades by appointment. And that means that when the next good announcement comes out, the stock will rally. And then from there, it then starts to get sold off again. So uh, it's a hold from me. I just think that uh, you could probably find a better um, uh, tech stock out there and that it's not behold too much to Australian government. Um, they did bring Christopher Pine on the other mm-hmm. uh, couple of weeks ago. That's defence minister. He has a very good pedigree in this space. So like, there's things that are working for it in its favour and it's got some decent contracts. It's just hard for me to get excited about it. And you've just put a buy on Nuix. So yeah. that's perhaps uh, a different <laughs> tech name that you could get into. There you go. Claude, Drone Shield, appointment viewing only, or is there something in there that you like long-term? So I, I think as we've established with Ansarada, I don't mind doing the sort of slightly riskier, scrappier ones that have got a few little things wrong with them and they're small. I don't mind doing that, but I need that risk reward to like look good for me basically. Um, and so you've been, 
and it's about the business model, right? Ansarada, we highlighted how the flaws in its business model meant that it's a software stock, but it's not perfectly recurring. This is not even a software stock. This is not recurring. Like this is a all these like one off, or maybe not one off, but like there's they got to keep making sales of their equipment, right? And then and there's a cost in manufacturing the physical equipment. That's that's how they can report um, half year revenue of 5.5 million and a loss of 5.8 million. So even though they got that money, all their costs are so much more. Like that's quite a big loss. This is a 60 million dollar company. Um, they're they're losing in they're losing 10% almost of their market cap in the half year. It's just it's it's bleeding too much for me to want to hold shares or to be interested. Mm. I'm looking for a company in the tech space. If I'm going to buy a scrappy one in the tech space, I'm looking for one that at least plausibly is about to become profitable soon, or if not profitable, sort of break even, or at least there's something high margin and recurring about its revenue. It just lacks those quality markers that I need to see in order to make a high risk investment in a small little company. So for me, I would actually avoid this one. Having said that, definitely one for the watch list since you know it is growing its revenue. And, and if you keep growing your revenue, eventually that, that can do good things quite often. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is for Will Drone Shield, um, not going in the portfolio either. Renergen, Renergen for Ash, RLT is the ticker code. It's a renewable energy business, operates in a couple of different places in Africa and emerging markets. Uh, Ash has pointed out that there's a lot of hype about this one on social media. Claude, have you been reading the hype? Um, I do keep an eye on hype, uh, and it seems almost from Ash's question, maybe he sort of he somewhat thinks of this maybe more of a of a trade, like it's a good story and there's a lot of hype. So, you know, should should I jump on? Uh, that's such a really different um, way of investing than what I do. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I I definitely don't understand properly, you know, what exactly this business does seems like it it it's not just purely about um renewable energy if, if i've looked at the right yeah. ticker yeah. i see a lot of announcement about gas yeah um so basically for me it it sounds like it is a sort of speculative stock that's being promoted on facebook and that you know eventually what will happen is that whoever it is that's trying to promote the stock will dump the stock on market and a bunch of retail investors that are buying a hot ticker on Facebook will end up buying the shares for way more than they're worth and then they'll just yeah and then the share price will start dropping basically once the momentum goes it's a it's a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. with these sort of Facebook hot stocks uh, so as they go up more people are attracted yeah hey, definite if, avoid for me that yeah and it's it's a bit concerning if you know, Claude, who's got a lot of experience in this space, is yeah. reading about it and, and still quite, quite, can't quite work out exactly what it well, does. we can't give across everything. So yeah, yeah, no, I know, but yeah. it should be it should be easy to understand once you get yeah, there. Yeah, so it, 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 is a, it is a gas business and it's 100% owned by a Virginia Gas Project or the project that it owns. And it, suppli it supplies LNG to heavy vehicles in South Africa. Okay. Okay, so that, that's the industrial gas users. But what it is, and I think why the hype of the Reddit, are we allowed to say Reddit mm -hmm. users and the, those kinds of things, it's offering a lower cost, cleaner, more efficient energy option than what it previously has for LNG. But it's, it's all talking about helium as a high value uh, 
um, irreplaceable element to supply global markets seeking new supplies. Helium. helium. I thought we were short on helium, yeah. but anyways, that's so, another discussion. So they're, they're still in uh, drilling, <laughs> they've still got to get to construction, and they've still got to get to phase one, two, and three then as well. So there's more value in this stock phase two when they actually get to into that production phase and they can actually then produce the helium that they need for uh, that LNG production as well. Um, for me, it's way too high risk. Um, I don't know enough about the business to, to be investing in it. I'm always cautious about these Reddit and I keep a close eye on what's happening there. I remember the other day uh, a meme came out, they were licking their wounds on IOW, they were licking their wounds on, um, sorry, IOU. Um, there was a couple of other ones where you There's could see- There's an 88E one. 88E, exactly. Yeah. Being yeah, absolutely massive, ramped. Massive and just, and then you're looking at it, we're looking at it every day going, I can't believe this is still going up. And then all these people going, well, I bought it at six cents, now it's two and a half cents. It's when you've got to talk to professionals and when you've got to actually get some inside information or understanding of what's happening in the stock before you make your investments. So for this one, it's got a great story around it, but it's still in drilling and needs construction of phase one, phase two. There's a long way to go. So it's a hold from me. Okay. Ren Urgen is not a buy. iShares Global Healthcare ETF. Yeah. This is for Claire. I'll start with you, Adam. Uh, is it a sound way to gain exposure to healthcare, which you, you would presumably want to have in your Agreed. portfolio. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for this one, for me, it's a hold only because it's geographical breakdown. 62% of the portfolio is in the US. Now, that's probably the biggest healthcare market out there. But there's so much, I can't say the word, it, there's so much um, bad news, good news about these vaccine rollouts. 6% of the portfolio is in Johnson Johnson. It's got Roche, it's got Pfizer, it's got Merck. So it's got all the big names there. The problem is with a vaccine, the margins aren't as big as a uh -huh. normal blockbuster drug, Viagra or, or something like that. The margins on a vaccine are very, very, very skinny. And at the moment we've got these recalls and those kinds of things. And I think the share price really indicates that's what's happening in the healthcare sector at the moment. I think it's somewhat that you can have a portion of your portfolio in healthcare because I think it is the right way to go. But this one for me, geographically, too much exposure to one area, which is the US 62%. And then again, this vaccine rollout and the margins on that are pretty skinny. I don't have a bonus one on this okay. one because I don't, yeah, I mean, you'd look at CSL. Yep. That's a better one. Yep. Yep. Okay, Claude, iShares Global Healthcare ETF, uh, heavily weighted to the US. We know that there's not great margins in vaccines because until COVID came along, all of these guys have sort of gotten out of the business, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, it, for, for me, this one's a bit of a palate cleanser after the, the prior speculative stock. I just think that this is a really good place to start for somebody who, who's getting into the market. Like, I just think that the person who starts with, you know, the, the global health care ETF is just going to, be on a much better, safer path than someone who starts with like absolute specky zero revenue loss makers. So, you know, I just think that there has to be like a lot of like respect for people who are identifying these safe areas to play. That's the way to do it. Find the safe areas to play and then gradually expand where you can play um, and take on more risk that way as you have more experience. So for me, I had, I sort of, I will give this one a yes, even though I'm so far away from buying it myself. I'm not going to buy this one. I, I just not, I play in way higher risk reward areas. I just think that for the ultra long term, 
having a little bit of money in a global health ETF is perfectly sensible. You can choose other smart beta ETFs like uh, cybersecurity mm-hmm. and um, you know companies with moats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes sense. That's a that's a that's a reasonable way to do it. And yeah, it's just basically a, a decent long-term ETF holding. Yeah, and okay. so I, I, I like it for that reason. And I do think healthcare is a good long-term theme. It's one mm. of the few industries where you have much more resilient demand across the cycle compared to most other inter- industries because healthcare is a number one priority for people. Mm-hmm. So that is a buy, Claire. Uh, but again, it's it's based on, I suppose, strategy uh, rather than necessarily what's in there That's more of a father-in-law in investment. That's the father-in-law. We always got to mention the father-in-law investments. Okay, let's see if Unity Group can make it into either one of uh, Claude's portfolio is the father-in-law or the uh, the high-risk reward. Uh, Unity Group, UWL, it's a telecommunications business. Uh, look, telecommunications is not always sexy. Is there anything sexy about Unity, Claude? I think there kind of is, really. So it's had um, it's had a great sort of story. It's, it's another one in these sort of uh, telecommunications sort of roll-up spaces. And uh, these guys, you know, um, they... Uh, Vaughn Bowen's in, involved in this one. I think he was um, M2 back in the back in the past. But these guys can create a lot of value by like getting, I guess, subscale telcos to scale, and then they sort of pass that point where operating leverage kicks in, and as a result of that, uh, you know, it becomes quite profitable. These can ter- these can in time turn into dividend payers. I think these these guys have already turned profitable. Uh, but they do have to raise capital, of course, as they grow to acquire um, different assets. They most recently, I think, acquired Telstra's Velocity assets, and they had an SPP for that, which is good to see that they had an SPP. They gave the smaller shareholders an opportunity to also participate. So this gets a lot of ticks from me. Unfortunately, I probably feel like if I were to buy now, I'd be joining a little bit late in the story. Now, that doesn't mean it's too late for anyone. Yeah. It just goes to show my predilections of an investment that I invest. I like to be early and I will get some wrong um, as a result. But if you're early, you get bigger gains. You don't have to do it that way. You can just get on things when they're a little bit further. The only thing I'll say with this one, which I'm probably, I'll give it a hold just because I I don't love okay. it enough myself, but it's close to a buy for me. I think it's a good, it's a good quality little small cap that I quite like to follow. And um, the only okay. thing to remember is eventually these acquisition stories, they'll, they won't be able to keep yeah. acquiring and growing as much that way. And they just run out of ability to do that. So yeah. you do have to look to sell out eventually. Okay, sorry, we're just running out of time. UWL on the chart. Yeah. I mean, it looks perhaps that maybe your time to get in has passed. Uh, no, okay. I, no, I, I actually think it's a buy because what this chart is doing is following earnings. And as Claude said, they're making earnings. Last year they made 7.2 million on EBITDA. This year they've uh, interim result they did 29.3. So, um, yeah, earnings f- share prices will follow earnings. So I think this is a buy. I like the roll up in the telco space. You just got to make sure you don't pay too much, like Focus did previously. They paid too much for these businesses mm-hmm. to get that earnings and get that growth, and then they found out that that was they paid way too much for it. So I think it's a buy. When you look back at this in two years' time, at two dollars ninety-five and it's five dollars. It, it won't be too expensive to, to buy. So make sure the earnings are moving in the right direction. Stock price will follow. Got it. That is very sensible advice, isn't it, Adam? All right, Adam Dawes. Sh- <laughs> well, let me just do a little bit of a wrap up. Yeah. Oh, Newix is staying in the portfolio. It is a buy from both of these guys.
Uh, look, it is now looking interesting after the hype, after that blow off happened for Claude. And yeah, same with Adam, that parabolic rise uh, really blew out uh, the heat. And so it's a buy for him um, because, and this is key, they have not changed their full year guidance. So disappointed on the half year, but uh, if they can manage to pull off that full year guidance, it will be pretty good. It is an avoid for drone shield for Will coming from Claude. It's loss making, it's just bleeding too much. Uh, Adam says it's, a, it's an okay business, it's a hold, but it's trading by appointment. Put out an announcement, see the share price rise, fade. Put out an announcement, rise, fade. You get the idea. Uh, eight is Ren Urgen. This is an avoid. For Claude, it sounds specky. It's being hyped in certain social media platforms. And for Adam as well, it's just way too high risk. The value would be in the production phase and it's not there yet. iShares Global Healthcare, it is a buy for the father-in-law portfolio for Claude. <laughs> it's healthcare, it's got global exposure, it's low risk. This is a good starting point for him if this is how you're looking at investment and a palate cleanser after Rengeren RLT. Uh, Claire, it's a hold for Adam. He doesn't like the G geography and the geographical uh, weighting to the United States, 62% US and a lot of these companies are making vaccines which are low margins, so that's a hold. For iShare Globals, 10, Unity Group, UWL for Dan, it's a buy. For Adam Dawes, for Sean Partners, he likes the roll-up story. He doesn't think it's too expensive. He hopes they continue to execute properly and not overpay. Uh, look, Claude doesn't hate this one. It's not a buy for him, but it's a hold. It's a good quality business and it could create value going forward. So yeah, it was a good program because they didn't agree on all points, but we did get a couple of buys in there and took one out of the portfolio, put one in. Thank you to all of you watching. Huge thanks to our guests, Adam Dawes yep. from Sean Partners Welcome. as always, Claude Walker joining us from A Rich Life. That's the show for today. Thanks. Flick us an email if you've got a company that's uh, on your watch list, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet to us as well. If you are watching on Twitter, time to switch over to our app or website, ausbiz.com.au, because we have plenty more news and analysis coming up after this break. Mm -hmm.